Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we find out if Columbus is ever going to get a light rail, or at least we explore the what's and the why's of the conversation. Columbus Underground reporter Brent Warren sat down with the executive director of the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, William Murdoch, to discuss what Morpsey does, where the region is going, the difference between developing a plan and implementing it, and how to ignite the conversation about transit change in Columbus. You can get more information about what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive central Ohio. Morpsey's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsey.org. Well, William Murdoch, Executive Director of the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, thanks for being with us today. Great, glad to be here. I think, as you know, I've been covering urban development and transit in Columbus for over six years for Columbus Underground, and I have a planning background. I worked as a city planner, and I have a degree in city planning. Right. I, I know a lot about you guys, and I'm interested in what you're doing, and I'm excited to kind of delve into the, to the weeds <laughs> with you on this stuff. But right. I'm sure there are people that you meet that you tell them what you do, and they kind of get a blank look on their face. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, can you give me sort of the, the overview of what you tell people like that about what MORPSI is and, and what you do? Sure, yeah. So anytime you work for a five-letter acronym, you have to explain things. So at, at MORPSI, we're the regional council for Central Ohio. So that means we work with local governments of all types, uh, small villages, townships, all the way up to the city of Columbus. Uh, We cover a wide range um, of central Ohio, and uh, whether it's urban, rural, suburban, we're helping them with transportation, sustainability, planning, data, all that stuff you said that uh, uh, you learned and excited about in planning school, and certainly you're the regional expert on a lot of these things. Um, That's what we do. So we're a technical resource. Uh, We help the region really get ahead of where it's going and prepare for growth. Great. And can you just explain a little bit like how you're funded? Um, who are your stakeholders? Yeah, so we're, uh, Morpsey is actually a membership association of local governments. So we have 67 local governments across central Ohio who voluntarily work together. And so uh, through their support, through federal support on transportation and energy, state support, grants, we, we pull it all together to, to be this resource for Central Ohio. Great. And that, that's cities, townships, counties, everything, right? Cities, yeah. counties, townships, villages, and other regional organizations. So <laughs> uh, really, it's any, any level of government in Central Ohio that, that wants to work together. 
Um, that's those are our members. So we think of it as a as our members, and we really we have a membership coordinator. We focus on services to them. Uh, but when we think of who we're working for, we're also working for the public in Central Ohio. So we do everything from help low-income families with energy insulation installs all the way up to uh, trying to bring together diverse opinions on what the region looks like. And so it's really about the people of Central Ohio and how we can move it forward. Great. I don't think I've asked you this when I've talked to you previously, but what is? How did you end up in this role? Are Are you from the region originally? Did you grow up here? I did. I did. I, so I went to high school in Westerville. Went to Ohio State for a long time until I got a planning degree at the end of it and an environmental degree at the end of it. Uh, worked in Gahanna for almost a decade, uh, from their parks department all the way into their planning uh, department. I helped close a landfill uh, and help redevelop old Gahanna. Went to the state of Ohio and ran what was called the Clean Ohio Revitalization Program, so a brownfield and urban development program. Ended up running a whole suite of community programs, but when this job came open, I'm a city planner by trade, I'm a central Ohioan, I'm a Buckeye, and I said, you know what, if ever a chance to impact the region and really uh, serve it, this was it. And so it's been about six years since I've had the chance to, to come over to Morpsey, and a uh, great team here, great supportive board, and we're doing lots of good work. Is this your dream job? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. A, a Buckeye City Planner graduate in Central Ohio, like, of course you want to be at, at Morpsey as uh, the planning commission for the region. Um, one of the topics I want to delve into, and I know you'll be excited to talk about, is um, Insight 2050 and the corridors concept. Um, we just covered the unveiling of the corridors recently, um, so there's been a lot of discussion about that lately. Insight 2050, I think, goes back, like, is it like five years or so, right, that mm -hmm. since that started? Um, can you give us a little background on that? Yeah, so, so Insight 2050 came together uh, as a collaboration between the public sector, the private sector, local governments, saying, where is this region going and how can we best get in front of that when it comes to things like development, transportation, and all of the infrastructure investments we need to make? It came out of a discussion with a few people about five years ago just as I was coming on into the position where they said, you know what, if you really want to help the region, you really got to get us focused on these questions of growth and investment. And they said, if, if you're willing to be all in on this, uh, William at Morpsey, we're willing to be all in with you. And uh, five years later, they've, that's proven to be true. So leaders like Yarmir Steiner, Steiner uh, Corporation, Terry Fogler out in Dublin, uh, the Urban Land Institute to Columbus, Columbus 2020, the Partnership, the Foundation. Uh, they've been all in on supporting the strategy to really capture and talk about growth. And when to boil it down, I, I think the big takeaway from Insight 2050 that we learned at the beginning is we're growing, and we're growing steadily and more quickly. And being from Central Ohio, you know we're pretty modest about this. And if anything, we shouldn't be. And the reason we shouldn't be is because if we're modest about it, that means we're not preparing for it and we're not planning for it. And so uh, the first phase of Insight 2050 looked at uh, different types of development and how that impacts things like the environment and health. If we um, just let growth happen to us, as you know, you've seen around the country, you can end up with terrible traffic or uh, terrible uh, issues with housing or environmental issues or sprawl or loss of farmland. Our growth is happening at just enough of a clip that we really believe that we've learned we can make those investments now to maybe avoid some of those impacts and maybe make growth work to improve our quality of life. Uh, so with Insight 2050, that's, that's what it's been about. It's a very technical study, but it's also been really engaged in the community 
We've done hundreds of presentations to every Rotary Club, Chamber of Commerce, Planning Commission that we can to really help Central Ohio realize we're growing, and if we want to improve our quality of life, we got a plan to make that work for us. And that, that boils it down basically sure. in what Insight 2050 is. And the corridors in particular is narrowing it even more, where you're looking at five different corridors and you're saying, if we focus uh, some density and more development on these corridors, and if we improve transit, we can actually handle a lot of that growth coming into the region just along those corridors, right? Yeah, actually, that's so. one of the big takeaways from the original Insight 2050 was denser development in some places could really take advantage of uh, things like existing infrastructure. It could really allow us to look at better ways to move people with transit investments and uh, maybe take advantage of some of our older commercial corridors. So we could, we could look at places that have nice neighborhoods around them, maybe need some redevelopment, have a lot of parking spaces uh, that might be used better. So out of that came uh, this corridor study to look at five corridors in central Ohio. We chose these corridors because they look like other places in central Ohio. And so if you see the map, you know, East uh, Main Street, West Broad, Cleveland Avenue, uh, what, Northwest uh, to 315 and then uh, South to Rickenbacker. Those corridors all have different types of development styles. And what we wanted to do was look at the question of, could we, by changing the development pattern along the corridors and by investing in some sort of mass transit, could we handle a good portion of the region's growth? And if we could, what would that look like? What would be the economic benefits, the environmental benefits? Uh, and so we've just finished that study of corridor concepts. And what we've seen is it's, it's true, a good portion of the region's growth could be accommodated in these corridors. We think that it could help things like congestion, it could reduce local government investments in infrastructure because we're, we're using what's there. Um, and it could provide for things that we're really concerned about here, like a mix of housing, different retail opportunities, um, you know, really help us shape how the region's growth looks like. And it, this, is, this was not an easy undertaking. We worked with uh, a number of local governments up and down the corridors, uh, a lot of public and private input um, combined with our technical analysis of what different development styles look like. Do you think after, after all this work you've done, um, as we kind of look to transition, like everything up until now has been data and planning and figuring all this out and presenting it to people, um, what about the implementation of the plan? How is that going to look? Are you optimistic about that? Um, what role is Morpsey going to play in that? Yeah, so next steps is what people want to know. The All right, so you know this type of development could be really beneficial, but how are we going to make it happen? Uh, how is it going to get going? And so we, we view the next steps on this in four ways. And uh, I know we've talked to a lot of people already, but there's more talking to do. Um, what we really want to do is get out in the community and socialize the concept that here's how you can do development differently. Here's how uh, it could provide benefits. Uh, there'll be a lot of communication efforts and engagement because uh, we want to make sure we're hitting different communities. If we're just talking to developers or mayors, we're not doing our job. So there's a lot more discussion to do. Uh, we also want to be talking to our peers. And this is what we think is a a big thing that could help Central Ohio is bringing community leaders and business leaders of all stripes to other places that have done this well and to learn from that. And we do this in some respects in our business community, but we really don't 
take a group of community leaders and go to places like Minneapolis or Charlotte or look at places that have done this, done it well, maybe look at some places that haven't done it well. Um, because what we want to get away from is the mindset that we sometimes are guilty of in central Ohio, which is, you know what, it won't work here. <laughs> and when you go and you look at places that look a lot like us and they've done it and they've tried it, that, that can be really motivating. Um, right, the old, uh, we're not New York City, we're not Portland, Oregon argument. Right, right? exactly, exactly. Um, but, but actually, a lot, of, a lot of communities our size and even smaller are doing things that uh, we haven't done yet. And so we want to take a look at that. Uh, we're really interested in, and this is the Morpsy guy talking, um, planning and technical assistance. Um, and the reason I say that is it's important. We have communities who, in order to do these things, are going to have to look at their zoning regs. They're going to have to look at incentive structures. They're going to have to look at right away. And so what we've done is we took uh, Insight 2050 had a, a pilot program on planning and technical assistance, and we're making it permanent. And we're, we're hopeful that this will allow us to work directly with these communities to do the changes they need to do um, in their own context. So I don't, at Morpsy, we don't tell them how they're going to change their zoning or how they're going to do uh, their planning. What we do is we want to be able to work with them, give them the tools, because they got to work with their own residents, their own planning commissions to make their choices. But we've got the information now, and so we want to give them that technical assistance. Um, and then the last thing is where I think a lot of CU folks get excited and where I get excited as a Columbus uh, resident is uh, we want to start moving uh, the needle forward on mobility corridors. And we've got great partners at CODA and around the region. What this study told us is we really have an opportunity here to move corridor-based transit forward. Um, the way we get started is something we haven't done before. And what uh, I think we've labeled it mobility innovation tests. Um, there's no acronym yet or anything, but mobility innovation tests uh, are what we're looking at is, um, I'm going to geek out as a planner here, you can edit this out if you need to. Um, there's something called tactical urbanism. Mm -hmm. And so what that means in planning speak is, okay, so you want to add, say, a bike lane or something. Well, don't do a two-year study and then wait three years for the investment to see if it works. Go ahead, get some cones, get some paint and some duct tape. And for a week, try a, a bike lane and see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you've seen this kind of effort with the parking space into uh, city parks uh, movement. Um, other places have done this with transit. And so we're, we're particularly interested in Boston, mm. where you could actually do something like do a temporary bus rapid transit-like installation. So maybe for a week, we reserve a whole lane just to increase bus transit times. Or they've done things like all doors boarding where you get on all at once or uh, raise platforms temporarily just as a way to get the region excited about trying different forms of transit. Um, we really think this is a way to ignite the conversation and get people excited about it because in all reality to implement any kind of new uh, transit uh, investment is going to take a couple years even if we move really fast but we don't want to wait. We want to show people that we're serious and I think the community is ready to do that. Um, but the next step is looking at um, what types of uh, mobility investments we want to make. So we, we talk about high-capacity transit, mm -hmm. and everybody says, what is that? And is it, you know, is it uh, bus rapid transit? Is it light rail? What are you, what are you talking about? And um, we're using a phrase we've been uh, batting around called advanced rapid transit. And so what the quarter concept study looked at is, what if you reserve right-of-way, so dedicated space for transit, 
and then you start applying new technologies to move that faster. Um, it's a way for us to maybe move as many people as something as light rail in existing right away hmm. and uh, to do it maybe more cheaply and more quickly. And so, um, you know, there's no definitive plans. I don't want to disappoint, but there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of interest in the public sector, private and, uh, sector and business leaders. We're talking to community members saying we need to do something. And we think that uh, by looking at what we're calling advanced rapid transit, there's a way to move pretty quickly on these things. And um, part of what I talked about earlier with peer exchanges, other communities are trying everything to get ahead in the transit space. We think that um, we're at a moment in time in central Ohio where now's the time to do that. And mm -hmm. um, that's that's what I'm really excited about is can we, can we actually move this forward and stop talking about uh, a mobility investment that might be 20 years off and actually do something in the very short to medium term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've talked to people at the city who are saying, yeah, this summer we could see something. Yeah. So, so just to kind of drill down on that, we're talking, say it's on West Broad Street, we're talking about a lane that would be blocked off to cars and a bus would be able to go and they'd be able to go a lot faster than, they'd be able to do that route in less time and it would get people downtown a lot faster. Right. I mean, the, the key with transit is you want to make it as convenient or more convenient than driving your own car. And, and it usually isn't in central Ohio. It yeah. isn't. It isn't. Yeah. And, and so when we look at how can we actually do something temporarily to show people the possibilities, like when you tell people, oh, no, it could actually work and it'll take 10 years before you see it, people start losing interest or they get mad. Um, if you can show them temporarily reserve that lane, maybe adjust the timing on the stoplights, you know, whatever you can do really quickly and cheaply, show them the possibility. That's when we think we can really get excitement around moving this forward. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive Central Ohio. Morpsey's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth of the region. For more information, please visit morpsey.org. Do you think this approach is something that will help to build that coalition for actual investment. When I talked to Joanna Pinkerton for this podcast, we asked her, should we, should we allow ourselves, the people who really have been wanting to see transit improvements for so long in Columbus, and it just hasn't happened, you know, should we allow ourselves to get excited about this, or is this just another thing <laughs> that is not going to happen? Yeah. So as somebody who went to planning school in central Ohio, I remember them coming in, this is in the 90s, talking about light rail and we're more than 20 years later. And so I'm a big skeptic. I've been a big skeptic of how can this actually move forward. I'm feeling optimistic. I feel like there's alignment here on there's growth, there's a community need for it. It can maybe solve other problems because we're not just thinking about it as transit. We're thinking about it as this is a way to help us deal with growth or to deal with housing affordability or uh, you know, to deal with some of the environmental challenges of growth. Um, so that means a number of different groups that maybe haven't thought about it before are pushing in the same direction. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about our chances here. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing that I've asked, because um, we talked to Jarmer Steiner and uh, Crawford Hoying, yeah. and I asked them in terms of the density piece, how if if this is also something where implementing this kind of policy on a broad scale, if you look at some very specific examples that are like kind of ideal urban infill in on the on these big corridors in great locations, walkable, and then proposals for those have run into neighborhood opposition and elected officials against it. I mean, if we can't, if we are struggling with even some of these sort of like low hanging fruit <laughs> sites, mm -hmm. how can we expect uh, on such a big scale to densify? Yeah, so that's a big question. Um, you know, when we look at um, anywhere in central Ohio, so we work all over in central Ohio, everywhere where there's growth, there's stress in the community. And I think a big part of it is um, folks don't like change, but they especially don't like change when they don't have the information about why it's happening, about how it, they could benefit from it. And I, I think that's been a missing piece. And I know there's a lot of good efforts out there, but when we're, we're looking at corridors, part of uh, the approach here is very organic. So I mentioned that technical assistance. So say we pick the East Main Street corridor as, as a community, we wanna move forward. Well, that's not just Columbus, that's Bexley, and that's Whitehall, and that's mm -hmm. Reynoldsburg, and I think there's a township along the way. All of them have to deal with the residents and the planning around it. And so helping to demystify it is one thing, but also when you're looking at a, well, how could they benefit from it? So if there's a transit corridor there, and that helps improve their uh, transportation times and gives them more options, that's a big benefit. Uh, if we're looking at the type of infrastructure along the corridor um, that we need. A lot of it's already there, and so maybe these type of investments could actually save their communities money. Uh, and when we look at the type of developments, when we say the word density in central Ohio, sometimes folks go straight to some sort of image of Manhattan, and that's or even the short north. And that's, that's not necessarily the density we're talking about. In Insight 2050, the original study looked at um, moderate density is something like uh, one home per like a fifth of an acre or something like that. Mm -hmm. To a planner, that's, that's not dense at all. And so when we're looking at these corridors, um, we're, looking at, we're not looking at 10 or 20-story buildings. We're looking at maybe nodes um, of development where you see multi-story that really reflects what a community is looking for, the market's looking for. Um, so a lot of it's just talking to neighbors, helping them see the benefits, I mean, if, if you uh, have this happening in your community and you don't understand it, you think it's going to make traffic worse and you see no benefit, then of course you should be opposed to it. And so part of the challenge here is we have information to show that folks could benefit from it, and we want to make sure we're connecting that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to talk about some of the other things that you're working on, because sure. I know you have a lot of initiatives that are not getting as much attention. Sure. Um, the Rickenbacker area study, can you talk about that a little bit? And that's actually on one of the corridors, right? Isn't that sort of the end of one of the corridors? It is, yeah. yeah. The corridor that goes southeast um, through Columbus uh, on through Obetz and Groveport um, is part of that study. So uh, for folks who don't know what Rickenbacker mm -hmm. is, um, this is a unique place that Central Ohio is so fortunate to have. It is uh, one of the world's only freight-focused global airports. Uh, we have flights to other continents direct from... Uh, Rickenbacker. It's one of the world's only places where that kind of global freight uh, connection happens to be next to a rail yard that is connected to a truck yard. 
and it all happens in the same place. So the word is intermodal. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at what we have there, we're one of the few places in the country to have this benefit. And the big challenge the community has is making sure we're helping it grow, taking advantage of it, and making the investments around it. Um, the way we've done this in the past is, because Morpsey's been involved about every 10 years, is we've done highway and roads planning around it. And you know where Morpsey's going these days. You can't just plan a road and think that that's going to solve everything. You have to look at the environmental issues. You have to look at economic development and housing and transit mm. and uh, uh, folks' needs that don't require cars. And so that's what our study's done. We've brought together partners in that whole area around uh, Rickenbacker uh, to look at how we can make the investments we need to to take advantage of this, make it work economically, and and really get our region prepared for uh, the growth around here. So um, logistics is a big part of central Ohio's economy. So more logistics means more jobs and more growth. And part of the, I mean, I I went out there because we had a flight to Florida. On okay. One of the, yep. So okay. There is some passenger traffic. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, very few, and it's yeah. a tiny terminal. But it, it was the first time I had ever been there. Um, and I saw on the way out uh, people waiting at the bus stop along, you know, the the road that goes to Rickenbacker. And, you know, there's a ton of jobs out there. There's not a lot of housing. Is part of the study looking at how do you connect people with those jobs that don't, I mean, not many people live right around there, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So the biggest thing we hear from employers that's holding them back is they don't have employees. And you mentioned it, you hit the nail on the head. There's not housing that's affordable for the workforce down there that's close. Mm-hmm. And the transit options have been getting better. Uh, we've had communities investing in shuttles and code has been adjusting things, but it's still not enough to deliver what that area needs to really thrive. And I'm sure that's like yeah. a 24 hour thing, right? It is, yeah. it is. And and the type of industry we have down there requires people to be on time or they, they lose their job. And if you're n- if things aren't dependable, that's, that's bad for the workforce. Um, but there's a bigger issue around safety and part of what the plan's looking at is once you get off the bus, sometimes it's a mile or more walk in the road to get to your job. And uh, we've had people, unfortunately, we've had fatalities down there. We've had people lose their lives just walking to work early in the morning. And so one of the big recommendations out of the plan is, here's a planning term for you, a low-stress pedestrian and bike network. And so what we're talking about are separated walk and bike paths. So when people get off the transit uh, if they need to walk, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, they can do so safely off the roads. And that network doesn't exist really well in that area down mm-hmm. there. Um, I know sometimes we think of sidewalks and trails just along uh, rivers, or we think of them in urban areas, but it's a really big issue down there. People getting to work need that extra option to be able to safely get to work. So that's one of the things the plan looks at. It, it covers the whole gamut. I, I, I could go into this for a while, I won't, but we've looked at the rivers and tourism opportunities. We've looked at placemaking and that, that area is missing some of the amenities you might need to support the employment growth. We've looked at housing affordability and housing development. Uh, it's, it's really covered the whole gamut there. So we're, we're thinking about how to position that area uh, more holistically than we have before. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you guys are working on, which uh, kind of fits in with everything else, smart streets policy. Yeah. Um, can you explain that in a way that's, because <laughs> anytime I feel like you get into the smart city stuff, 
you know, you're talking about jargon. The jargon just comes fast and <laughs> and steady. But it does. Uh, what is the Smart Streets policy? Yeah, so your listeners are really familiar and readers are really familiar with uh, Smart Columbus and maybe the 33 corridor or some of these efforts we have in what they call smart mobility. What we do at Morpsy because we work with a lot of communities and many of them don't have the capacity to even think about this or to plan for this like they want to. Um, we have what we call, it's a very creative name, the Smart Region Task Force, so that we can really look at ways to leverage these good efforts going on um, in smart mobility and connect them to the rest of the region. And so um, Smart Streets is the first tangible effort that comes out of that. And uh, one, it, it, a good way to explain it is we have this policy and have had it for about 10 years in Central Ohio called Complete Streets. Complete streets just means every time we spend a dollar on transportation, we have to pause and make sure we're thinking about bikes and buses and uh, pedestrian. It, it'll look different in different spots, but every time we have to look at how it affects that network, how we extend trail networks or pedestrian networks, over time that can move the whole region to have a better bike ped network. Smart streets is the same concept, and it doesn't even, we won't get too technical here. Basically what the policy says is every time we spend a dollar on transportation in central Ohio, we're going to look at smart mobility. Do we need smart intersections? Do we need to extend the fiber network? Do we need to look at different data collection things or different ways to really allow these smart transportation technologies to be in place? Uh, that won't change things in a year, but over time, keep, keep in mind we're a long-range planning organization. Mm -hmm. Over time, it will redirect billions of dollars to be mindful of how to lift the whole region up. So you don't necessarily need to be Columbus, who's really advanced at this, um, to access this technology. Just as part of our normal process, we'll be thinking about it and connecting it. And we think it's the first example in the country. And when you talk about smart intersections or smart anything, basically we're talking about technology and communications, yes. right? I mean, yeah. is that basically... Yeah, you can say connected. It's, mm -hmm. it's basically, uh, are, you, are you looking at traffic flows differently? Are you uh, connecting or um, communicating with the vehicles or transit buses to move traffic smoother like to, the bus, to safety? Yeah, It knows when a bus is coming and it changes the light to, to give it priority. That's right. an example. Right, right. Or, yeah. or a safety example might be if you have a car that's about to run a red light, it will hold the other cars off maybe that split second so that they're not um, causing an accident. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a safety element, there's a congestion element, uh, and basically what our region, just this is brand new, just last week we voted unanimously to make this a new policy. Every time we plan transportation, we have to think about these technology pieces. Part of it might be the extending fiber and internet. We still have parts of Franklin County, parts of the region that don't have access to good high-speed internet. This is part of a way that that might help with that problem, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, finally, I, I know um, this is something that our audience has been very interested in and engaged with. Even, well, <laughs> on the one side, we have the Hyperloop, <laughs> which I want to talk about. Right. Uh, but even before the, there was any talk of the Hyperloop, there was talk of a high-speed rail connection between Columbus and Chicago. Right. And that just, like, every time we wrote about it, it was just through the roof. Everybody was interested in that. Um, can you give us a quick update on where that stands and what's happening with that? I mean, that's still, still there's still planning happening for that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think a disclaimer at first. So we're really excited about uh, 
different ways to connect Columbus to Chicago or other regions. The moment I say Hyperloop, people think that we're not working on anything else. Um, this is an important part of what we're doing, but I mean, we just talked about we're, we're hitting pedestrians, bikes, transit, roads, safety, uh, advanced technology. Um, Are you th- saying that everybody always wants to talk about they Hyperloop? Love, yeah. They love, and we love to talk about it too, but it's, uh, it's something that I think um, uh, transit advocates and others sometimes worry that we're, we're looking at even high-speed rail or things like Hyperloop at the expense of these things, and, and we're not. We're, we're investing in all modes and trying to move everything forward. Anyhow... Um, the good news for folks interested in high-speed rail or Hyperloop is we're still working on both. And so the initiative we have is called the Rapid Speed Transportation Initiative, um, which is looking at both Hyperloop technology and high-speed rail between Chicago and Columbus and Pittsburgh. And so that effort on the rail piece has been going on for more than five years Um, We have every community, um, every regional organization between Chicago and Pittsburgh working on this. So there's regular meetings. We're participating on studies and and the planning efforts. So uh, if folks are worried that not a whole lot is happening, there's been a continued push on both of those things. What's really exciting and different, though, is on the Hyperloop project, I mean, with the technology, I think your, your listeners and readers are really familiar it moves things really quickly, whether it's freight or it's passenger. Um, we saw an opportunity there to look at new technology, and we competed in what was called the uh, Virgin Hyperloop uh, Global Challenge. And we actually beat out 2,600 other corridors around the world to study the technology. And so if people are wondering when Columbus and this corridor is going to be named a winner, we, we already were. And what that means is in addition to the rail, We're also looking at Hyperloop technology, and we're working with this company, Virgin uh, Hyperloop One, uh, to look at things like right-of-way, look at how the technology applies to the corridor. We're doing environmental studies, all the things you would do for a normal transportation investment. That work's happening, and the studies are going to finish here this summer, and so we'll have a lot more on things like cost and alignment and those kind of things. The potential here is enormous. And I know folks will sometimes focus on Elon Musk. Um, He was the one who birthed the idea, but that's not who we're working with. We're working with a company that's the the larger company that's uh, not just uh, the larger company. They actually have a test facility. And so we've taken more than 50 community and business leaders out to see it. And I tell you, this is something that uh, no one will believe me, but I was the biggest skeptic going out the what are we working on? Is this, should we really be doing this? And there is a working test facility. They've hired people from NASA and SpaceX to work on it. There's a lot of money globally behind it. Major freight companies, major logistics companies. Uh, the Virgin Group is actually a really large transportation group. Um, they're pushing on this. And if anything, we've, what we've done is we've said, okay, this is real. It's coming. And we want to make sure we're ready and we're in front. And we have that unique opportunity. We're actually working with the leading company as one of their first corridors. And so um, we didn't want to do so at the expense of rail. And so both studies were moving forward together and our communities were really emphatic about that. It's just Hyperloop grabs the headline first. Mm-hmm, right. Um, is there going to come a time when we'll have to make a choice? Like this is either a rail corridor or a Hyperloop corridor? Yeah, I, I think that one thing we have to think about is Hyperloop moves both freight and passenger traffic really quickly. It, and it might start with freight. And we just talked about being a logistics hub. The possibilities, if, if the technology is ready to be commercially implemented, which we know it will be here shortly, 
in other countries, um, Hyperloop may actually move forward. And um, what, when we think about the timing of this, if we had to choose a high-speed rail network could take 10 years to develop, if a Hyperloop uh, network and technology is ready and that might take five or 10 years to develop and it moves significantly faster, um, you know, I, I think the region would have to make a choice. I think it comes down to cost, but um, all other things equal, if you could get to Chicago in under 40 minutes or Pittsburgh in under 20, it doesn't matter whether you're a box or a person, I think that might be the technology we're interested in. But, it does if you're yeah. um, concerned about how it feels, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, right. a box can be in a in a pressurized tube, right. and no worries. But we're not sure how humans are going to feel in one of these things, right? Well, actually, talking to them, they've done a lot of study on this, and so they they've done the study on the, the G forces and all this. This is way outside of my expertise mm -hmm. as a planner. Um, but part of uh, the process here is you've heard of maglev trains. Mm -hmm. um, they're noted for being really smooth, and so this is the same. A similar type of technology where you're actually not touching the rails, you're floating above the rails. So the friction is less, it's very smooth. Think of a really smooth elevator. That's how they describe it. So you might feel a little bit, but um, if that technology is implemented uh, commercially and it's successful and it's affordable, this is something we think we could really move forward on. We haven't given up on high-speed passenger rail yet. So we're still doing the steps to move both projects forward. Mm -hmm. yeah. When I started looking into this, and I've become a little bit of a Hyperloop skeptic myself, and part of that I think is just, you know, as you mentioned, the media has gotten so excited about it and this, you know, 30 minutes to Chicago, but you start looking into all of the advances that still would have to be made to get get anyone to Chicago in 30 minutes, and it's there's a lot, and and there's no... You know, unlike high-speed rail, where we have examples we can look to, and it's actually been built and it works, there's none of that with Hyperloop. And there's, it seems to me, a lot of questions still about building it and cost and even advancing with the technology to make it faster than existing high-speed rail. Um, do you think there's a concern that because everybody's so excited about Hyperloop that we lose focus on something that is more practical and could still be transformational. I mean, you could still get to Chicago a lot faster on a right. direct tra uh, rail line than you can on the highways today. You know, you could you could build that soon. Yeah. No. So uh, some of what you said, I think, is correct, and others I want to give you more <laughs> information on. So um, if we could have both, absolutely. Columbus needs. We're a huge region, and we're growing, and so we need connections more than just to Chicago and Pittsburgh, and we need different types of connections. So if we could have passenger rail at a higher speed and Hyperloop and other options, I think that that would be the ideal situation. When we're looking at Hyperloop technology, so the company we're working with, Virgin Hyperloop One, has a test facility. Mm -hmm. They've achieved what they need to achieve. Like we've walked through the tube, they've achieved the speeds they need. Um, their How fast do they go in that? In under a half a kilometer, they can go over 200 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. But that's and not going to get you to Chicago in half an hour. Right. And so, <laughs> right. no, this is a great question. So we've asked their engineers that. And the question is, well, you didn't hit six or 700 miles an hour, mm -hmm. right? Well, in a uh, half a kilometer, what they've done is they've shown the acceleration necessary uh, to do it. They've proven the physics works, the concept works. And so their next step is building that longer segment so they can. And so they've been working with... 
governments in the Middle East and India, in addition to ones in the United States, to build that longer concept. Um, these, to, to do this technology first means you have to prove it works. They feel like they have. They've partnered with companies like DP World, which is one of the largest freight and logistics firms, uh, to commercialize the concept. I think when um, it's good to be skeptical about it, and, and we are, and we are, but I, I think when you look at high-speed rail, we look at projects around the country, so look at California or Texas or Florida, like we've looked at these examples, we've talked to folks, um, these projects take more than 10 to 15 years to implement sometimes. It's existing technology. What we're talking about here is in central Ohio connecting to other places. If we're looking at a 10 to 15 year horizon, it's very possible we'd, we would have a choice between the two. And what's really great is sometimes they use the same corridor. Mm. So the planning that we're doing, the environmental assessments, uh, the right of way, Align, like doing one helps the other. And so, um, and actually in attracting some support and funding for it, having Hyperloop has actually allowed us to advance some of our rail studies at the same time. So it seems to be a prudent bet to bet on both of them being available and keep moving the studies forward. Um, we're gonna know a lot more here in the next six months in terms of cost in Central Ohio. Uh, there, our partners at Virgin Hyperloop One have told us in the next year, or so we're going to be able to actually see some of that that higher speed testing, the the uh, the bigger investments. So we're 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 approaching cautiously. You'd expect us to, but uh, what we've seen so far continues to to think this is a great strategy for us to be prepared for both. Mm -hmm. Well, great. I mean, I could keep going on. <laughs> oh yeah, and yeah. high speed rail yeah. and all of this stuff. But I think we're at the end of our time. Great. Thanks so much for speaking with us. Yeah, today. thanks. It's been a delight. Thanks. thanks. Thank you for listening to Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite commuter. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.